Welcome to worship. We're so glad you're here with us today. My name is Sheila and I'll be your host for this online worship experience. If this is your first time joining us, we wanna give you a very special welcome. If you'll check in with us and give us maybe your email address, we would love to send you a gift card this week and the coffee is on us. This is week 15 of our sermon series about David. Pastor Spencer has a fabulous message just ahead for us. And speaking of the sermon, you'll find discussion questions and more online at schweitzer.church next. And now, here's Stella with our announcements. Hey y'all, I'm Stella. Welcome to Schweitzer. This week is an exciting week as we're starting our fall semester classes and groups for Schweitzer kids, Schweitzer students, and several adult small groups. These will all begin at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday nights. And to make Wednesday nights a little easier, you can pre-order a Chick-fil-A sandwich for $5. These will be served in Memorial Hall from 5.15 to 6.15 p.m. No need to cook dinner, we have you covered. We just need to know you're coming. Be sure to sign up no later than Tuesdays at 3 p.m. to guarantee your chicken sandwich. In addition to Wednesday nights, we also offer all kinds of small groups and classes that meet on campus, off campus, and even online. You can find a fall group or class at schweitzer.church groups. This Thursday, September 7th, we will be hosting another second season lunch for folks 55 and older. We have invited guest speakers and volunteers from a local organization, Sleep in Heavenly Peace. They will share about how they care for our community by building beds for people in need. Sign up today for this week's lunch at schweitzer.church next or at the Blue Booth. As you can see, there's a lot going on this fall. So to find out more about what's coming up on the calendar or some of the great things that are happening around Schweitzer, you can pick up one of these, our new Spark magazine. You can find more copies of these all around campus or even more articles at spark.schweitzer.church. Once again, thank you so much for being here today. Now, let's continue with worship. Thanks, Stella, for those announcements. We invite you to join us for any or all of these great things that are happening at Schweitzer Church. You can find out more by going online at schweitzer.church next. If you're joining us live today, we invite you to join in the chat. Say hello to your friends or give us your insights. And if you find yourself in need of prayer, we have someone waiting for you right now in the prayer room. Just press that button and we'll be right with you. And now, on this day that the Lord has made, let us continue in worship.
As we come to this time of prayer, I invite you to join me as we go to our Heavenly Father. Let's pray together. Holy God, I thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of this worship service today. What a joy it is to join with others, whether it's online or in person. God, we know that you're here with us and we thank you for that. We pray that we might realize the blessings of every day and remember to just take a moment from our hectic schedules to thank you for the miracles that you place in our paths. God, we thank you for the love that you shower on us. And as we talk about the fruits of the Spirit and about love today, we wanna thank you for loving us. And we pray that we might love others as you first loved us. As 1 Corinthians says, love is patient, love is kind, love is not boastful. God, remind us of these wonderful traits that allow us to be more like you. We want to so reflect your love to the world. We want people to wonder why we're different, why we're so caring about other people. So God, give us those opportunities and help us to realize those in our daily lives. And God, as we continue to pray together, we want to share together the prayer that your Son taught us, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
As we come to this time of offering, I want to share with you about a great event that happened just a couple of weeks ago here at Schweitzer Church. It was called The Last Blast of Summer, and we've got a video for you. Check it out. As you can see, we had a blast at the last blast of summer. What a great event to do outreach for our community and to bring people together. It was wonderful. And it's because of you and your generosity that things like this can happen. Thank you so much for giving to the ministries that happen through Schweitzer Church. I want to remind you that you can give online at schweitzer.church give. And now here's Pastor Spencer with our last week of our series on David. Friends, welcome today. I'm so glad that you're with us. My name is Spencer, and today we are going to be wrapping up our series on King David. We have been on this all summer long. We started this Memorial Day weekend. It is now Labor Day weekend, and so we have wrapped this up. We have seen David at his best. We've seen David at his worst, and yet through it all, we have seen the faithfulness of God. Now, next week, we're going to start a new series. We're going to spend nine weeks on one verse. Sounds great, doesn't it? We're going to dive deep into a famous, famous, famous verse, Galatians 5.22. You've probably heard it before. It goes like this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Actually, that's Galatians 5.22 and 23. So it's like 1.5 verses, but nine weeks on that. And, and there's a really strong teaching in Galatians 5 about about growth and how Christians grow. And there's going to be exploring this, this question of growth. And, and we're going to talk about things like sanctification and holiness and virtue. These are not words that people really talk about anymore. 
Because today when people talk about growth, we, we tend to talk about uh, gaining skills in life, maybe leadership skills or parenting skills, or, or we talk about you know becoming happy or healthy or self-actualized. And really what the Bible teaches, though, is, is so much different about how we grow. So we're going to explore growth and what this looks like. There's a strong teaching about this. and be very practical. It's also going to confront some of what we see in culture around us. So I'm really excited about that. I can't wait to get that going next week, but that's next week. Today, let's wrap up this series on King David, and we're going to look at the last words of King David. In the Bible, last words are always very, very important. And we have two different places in the Bible where we see David's last words. One is in 1 Kings, and this is like a, a deathbed scene. It's very personal, and uh, it's, it's um, kind of him speaking off the cuff to his son Solomon and his uh, son's uh, mother uh, Bathsheba, and, and, and it's a very personal moment. And, and there's another scene of, of David's uh, last words in First Chronicles, which is where we're going to go for today. We're going to go there because First Chronicles is um, a speech that David gives. It's his last words, his last speech that he gives. And I think that's a bit more helpful to explore than, than his deathbed scene, but I encourage you to go read that. It's in 1 Kings 1 and 2. Um, but the, the last speech is, I think, so much more helpful because it's, you know, it's not off the cuff. It's thought through. It's like, you know, if you had one last speech that you're going to give, what would you say? If you could think about it and plan it and process it, you know, what, what is it that you'd want to express? And so that's what we're going to explore today in this last speech of David. It's 1 Chronicles um, chapter 28. Here's how it goes. David summoned all the officials of Israel to assemble at Jerusalem. The officers of the tribes, the commanders of the divisions in the service of the king, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of all the property and livestock belonging to the king and his sons, together with the palace officials, the warriors, and all the brave fighting men. This is like a who's who in Israel. You want to get the invite for this one. Verse 2. King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my fellow Israelites, my people. I had in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. He's talking about a temple. Uh, for the footstool of our God. And I made plans to build it. But God said to me, You are not to build a house for my name because you are a warrior and have shed blood. And I think it's pretty fascinating that this is where David starts with this one last speech. Because one of the things that we know about David is that his life's goal, like his big ambition in life, is to build a temple to honor the Lord. We had a whole message about this. It was in late July, 2 Samuel 7 is what we explored, as I'm sure you remember. And in 2 Samuel 7, David makes these plans to, to build the, the temple for the Lord. And um, the Lord speaks to David through the prophet Nathan that, that David's not supposed to do this. Instead, his son Solomon will build the temple the house for the Lord. And instead, what the Lord says to David is that, well, David wanted to build a house for God. God is going to build a house for David. He means his dynasty. He's going to build a house of David to last forever when they live in faithfulness with him, which is really a prophecy about the Messiah. But the fact that David starts his speech here says something about David's heart. It says something about his ambition. It says something about where he's at, that through all of these years, through successes and failures, through faithfulness and sin, at the end of the day, David wants to honor the Lord. Let's keep reading. Verse 4. Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, chose me from my family to be king over Israel forever. He chose Judah as a leader from the tribe of Judah, 
chose my family. And for my father's sons, he was pleased to make me king over all Israel. Now, notice all the action here. It's like, God chose me. God chose Judah. He's the tribe of Judah. God chose my family. God chose, was pleased to make me. It's like interesting to, to see how David just continually comes back to this, this action of God, this, this action that God has had in his life. And that's a pretty interesting perspective, especially when you think about David and, and all of the things that he has accomplished in his life, that he has this perspective that the hand of the Lord has been with him all along. I mean, think about David's life, what we've seen in this series. Um, David is the eighth son of Jesse. So he's an the forgotten son from an insignificant family. He rises to power at about age 15 when he faces Goliath. He's thrust into the limelight as he goes to face Goliath very quickly. He's brought into Saul's service because he becomes this national hero as a teenager. I mean, think about what you were doing at 15, probably not a national hero, but David was. He's this national hero at age 15 and and uh, he comes into Saul's service very quickly. That that goes south and, and David has to go on the run because Saul is jealous of him and David, through exceptional leadership and bravery and just a great, uh, great tactician and skilled and, and a very smart man, he is able to bring together uh, his own basically fighting force. And while he's fleeing from Saul, he's also fighting the Philistines, protecting Israel. And, and all along, he keeps this faithfulness to God. It's just really, really incredible. Eventually, he becomes king at about age 30. He captures Jerusalem. He brings peace and prosperity to the people of Israel. Like David has accomplished so, so much, uh, so much that, that, that it's interesting to me that when he thinks about his life, um, he sees God's hand at work, even though David has done so much. I mean, this is like a rags to riches kind of story. David's like a self-made man. And, and there's a, a certain temptation, I think, that comes with with that kind of story, this rags to riches, self-made man kind of story, this temptation that comes with prosperity and success and accomplishment. It's the temptation to see all that you've done and to, to look at this and be like, look at what my hands have made. Look at what I have built. Look at what I have accomplished. And there's this temptation to see life through that lens, but that's not how David sees things. David looks at all that he's done and he sees the Lord's hand in all of that, that the Lord was at work in his life, bringing him to this success, bringing him to these accomplishments. And so we come on to keep reading here. Um, verse five, he says, David says, of all my sons, and the Lord has given me many. I love that line. Um, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. And he said to me, Solomon, your son is the one who will build my house. He's talking about the temple and my courts. For I have chosen him to be my son and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever if he is unswerving and carrying out my commands and laws as is being done at this time. So now I charge you in the sight of all Israel and of the assembly of the Lord and in the hearing of our God, be careful to follow all the commands of the Lord your God that you may possess this good land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. And if you seek him, he will be found by you. Um, but if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house as the sanctuary, be strong and do the work. So David's 
last speech starts with the temple and it ends with the temple. It makes you wonder what's important to David. Um, but the real crux of this speech is found in verse 9. This great um, wisdom here that he offers here. So let's go back and read verse 9 one more time. This is the crux of the speech. David says, And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion, with a willing mind, for the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he'll be found by you. But if you forsake him, he'll reject you forever. So speaking to the future king, um, David is obviously concerned about the temple, no question about that. But, but more than that, here is this great, great wisdom about life that is worth unpacking. And really, David gives uh, two actions that he charges Solomon with beyond the temple, um, beyond leadership, just about life, two actions that are so pivotal um, to live a good life. And so he offers these two things. First, he tells him to acknowledge the God of your father, and then second, to serve him, serve the Lord with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. So let's unpack these two things. We'll start with the first one. Acknowledge the God of your father. Now this word acknowledge um, has been translated from the Hebrew word yada. Um, sometimes you might hear people say, you know, yada, 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 if they're trying to gloss over some details in a story and yada, 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 what that, what that means is, is, uh, you know, like, you, you know what I'm talking about. And, and that's what yada means. It means, it means to know. It, it, it means knowledge. And, and the way that the Bible talks about knowledge is very different than how we tend to think about knowledge. So, when we think about growing in knowledge and, and learning things, we think about school and grades and reading books and listening to podcasts and accumulating information and mastering subjects. And, and that's how you know, we tend to think about knowledge, but that's not how the Bible uh, talks about knowledge. So let me give you some examples of yada in action so we can better understand what it is that David is charging Solomon with. So here's a few examples, Psalm 9. Those who know, yada, your name, trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. So notice here, yada is not about information. It's about trust. Um, Exodus 2. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned, yada, about them. Like there's a heart to yada. Um, Genesis 4, I'm going to read from the English uh, uh, English Standard Version, ESV, says, Now Adam knew Yada, right? Wink, wink here. Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. So when David says, acknowledge um, the Lord, Yada the Lord, what, what do you think he means? Do you think he means learn a lot about God? Um, memorize a lot of passages in the Bible, even though that's important. Is that, you think that's what he means? You think he means you need to read those books and listen to those podcasts and go to that seminar? Is that, is that what he's talking about? Well, well, of course not. David is talking about something that's much more personal. He's talking about a kind of knowledge that is about relationship and friendship. And it's a, a kind of knowledge that is, is really defined by how we know someone else, not just what we know about someone else, but how we really know them. It's the kind of knowledge that, that a mother has for her child, or a shepherd has for his sheep, or a husband has for his wife. It's a knowledge that is personal and intimate, and it's a knowledge of, of friendship and fellowship. And 
This is the kind of knowledge that David is, is charging um, Solomon to have. And, and I think this is important to note that from this incredibly um, accomplished person, David, the first thing, the, the real crux of the matter is he says, you know, you can do these things and build the temple. It's important to do, but really you got to know the Lord. You need to have friendship with the Lord, not just know about God, not just know religious things, but have fellowship with the Lord, know his voice, know his presence, spend time with him. You have to have a relationship with him. And this kind of knowledge is the most important thing that we're going to have. This reminds me of some of the things that Paul writes in the New Testament, things like Philippians chapter three, whatever regains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth, the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Or I think about Ephesians chapter one. Again, Paul, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know things, right? So that you may know him better. I pray that the the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance to his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Or Ephesians chapter three, Paul says, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You see, the Bible from beginning to end is this great invitation to know the Lord, to know your creator, to know your father in heaven who has created you in his image and likeness, who loves you and has revealed himself to us, the church, that we may know him, not know about him, not know religious things and just do religious things, but to know him personally, to have fellowship and intimacy and friendship with him. Like this is the invitation of the Bible is that we could actually know the Lord. And this is what David is charging Solomon with, like go build the temple. That's really important. But more than that, know the Lord, know the Lord. And this this then leads us back to 1 Chronicles 28. And we see that, you know, if you know the Lord comes the second action that David charges Solomon with that you would serve the Lord, serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. In other words, serving the Lord is not just a priority of your life. It is like the priority in your life. So whatever we find ourselves doing in life, we serve the Lord. Whatever relationship we're in, we serve the Lord. Whatever work we're doing, we serve the Lord. That this is the, the desire that we have in our life. Now, this phrase at the end here, it says with a certain Lord, the willing mind is an interesting, uh, really, really interesting phrase because that's not even close to what the original Hebrew says that this has been translated from. Um, in the original, original Hebrew, this is an, an idiom that, um, that's really hard to translate. And I don't know if you remember English class and I don't know what grade you talk about idioms, maybe ninth grade. Uh, maybe you remember what an idiom is. Idioms are, are figurative ways of saying things that aren't, aren't literal. So we might say things like, um, it's raining cats and dogs. That's an, that's an idiom. And we don't mean to say it's literally raining cats and dogs. We mean to say it's, it's raining really, really hard. But imagine if you didn't speak English and you were learning English and someone told you that, you'd be so confused. Well, that's what's going on in the Hebrew here is that it doesn't literally mean um, have an open mind or a willing mind when it comes to serving the Lord. 
the, the literal translation of what David said here to Solomon was to um, serve the Lord with wholehearted devotion and with a uh, literal translation, a big, wide open mouth. That's literally what would be here. And the logic is that um, the mouth is about desire because the mouth is how you solve your desire for um, food and drink and breath. And so therefore have this big, wide open mouth that, that you'd have deep desire to serve the Lord. That's what Paul or David is, is getting at here is to have this deep desire to serve the Lord. And so this willing mind, I think, is a weak translation to say you need to have this heart that is just focused on this, not just doing this out of duty or obligation because you think bad things are going to happen to you if you don't serve the Lord, but instead you need to have this this knowledge of the Lord, this personal knowledge of the Lord that, that leads to this desire to serve him. And this is not just a religious platitude that David gives here. Solomon, you need to serve the Lord. I mean, this is, this is really, the I mean, truth about, about this is that for all of us, even for ancient kings of incredible wealth and power, this is true for all of us, just like them, you also have exactly two choices in how you're going to live your life. You can either serve the Lord with a giant open mouth, deep desire to serve him, or you can serve something else. You have exactly those two options in how you're going to live your life. But um, not serving something is, is not an option. And I know this is like a really basic point, but honestly, there are lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of people who don't get this. There's even lots of Christians who don't get this. Because, because we live in a culture where the dominant thinking is that um, the path to a successful and fulfilled and meaningful life is my own personal happiness, right? That's what our culture teaches us. And you see this show up all the time, this kind of worldview and this kind of thinking. Um, there's these phrases that people say that are really expressing this. You might hear people talk about, you know, I got I to gotta be true to myself. You know, I got I to gotta own my truth or, or one of my favorites um, I got to follow my heart. Just great advice. Just if you want to wreck your life, <laughs> I'm going to follow my heart. But, but you have these things. But the ironic thing is that the more um, personal happiness becomes the thing that you're pursuing, the more you become captive to the thing that you think is going to make you happy. And so you end up serving this thing. That's, a, that's what happens here. That's why you have one of two choices how you're going to live life. You, you're going to serve the Lord or you're going to become captive because you're chasing after something else. And the more you chase after that something else, you become more captive to it in increasing measure where you serve it with greater and greater ways. And we've all seen this dynamic at work, either in our own lives or the people around us. Let me give you a couple examples. For instance, you think that money is going to make you happy. So you chase after making money only to become captive to materialism. And the more you buy, the more vacations you go on, the bigger your house gets, whatever it is, um, the more you want more. So you, you clearly have enough, but because you're chasing after money, because you think it's going to make you happy, you want to consume even more because you don't think you have enough. Like there's this vicious cycle that begins to get formed in our lives. Like you chase after this thing, but in the end, you just end up serving it because you think it's going to make you happy, even though it doesn't fulfill its obligations to you because you're not happy. And so you just think if I just have more of it, then I, then that's going to, that's, that's the solution here. So you just have this vicious cycle. Or another example would be, um, 
you think that having other people like you or having the approval of other people will make you happy. So you chase after having people like you and uh, you avoid conflict and you try to, you know, be, you know, just just uh, really nice to everyone and, and, and you really cultivate your Instagram so that it's uh, making you look good for other people. And it's like this ironic thing happens again where the more you chase after that, the more you become captive to it because you start to care about it even more and more. And in the end, you actually end up with less meaningful relationships. But so you just feel more isolated, which drives you to want more people to like you. And you just end up in this cycle here where you end up serving that thing that you think is going to make you happy, even though it can't. Or uh, one more example, you think that accomplishments, success um, are going to make you happy. And it's not necessarily about money. It's about getting the job done. It's about being the best in your field. It's about rising and getting promotions. And this could be true for work. If you're a student, it could be true for school. You want to get the best grades or if you're an athlete, you want to have the, you know, the best performance. And, and the ironic thing happens that the more you pursue that, um, you feel incomplete because there's always someone ahead of you. So you chase after it even more and more and you end up sacrificing the things that really matter in life, like relationships, in order to go pursue this. And again, you see this vicious cycle that, you know, I'm going to pursue this thing that makes me happy. But in the end, I become captive to serving this thing. And so all of us, even ancient kings with unlimited power and incredible, unimaginable wealth, have this exact same struggle that um, you have one of two choices how you're going to live. You can either serve the Lord or you can serve something else, but you can't, you can't serve nothing. This reminds me of what Jesus says in Matthew 16. Like we have to flip the script a little bit in our lives to discover that serving the Lord is actually the way that we find the satisfying, fulfilling life. Jesus said this in Matthew 16. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Like you can spend your whole life chasing after things that you think will make you happy, but in the end, you just end up serving those things as happiness becomes ever more um, elusive. So David's wisdom is so, so good and something that all of us need to hear and listen to because at the end of the day, how should we spend our lives? Really simple, two actions. Know the Lord and serve the Lord. Know the Lord personally and intimately. and Have friendship and fellowship with the Lord. Don't just know about Him. Don't just know religious things, but know Him. Spend time with Him. Learn to know His voice and His presence and, and enjoy this. And when you do, you will never be off track in your life. And in the same way, serve the Lord. Make Him your priority. Have a desire to bring honor and glory to Him. And as you do that, your life is going to be lived in the best possible way. This is David's wisdom to Solomon. Go build the temple. It's so important. Go do that work. But more than that, know the Lord and serve the Lord. Here's the recipe for a life that is going to be fulfilling and satisfying and meaningful because you are living the life that God has intended for you. Now, as we end the series today, I wanna to end 
by giving David the last word. And so throughout this series, we've been reading from the events of his life in the Bible, but we've also been reading David's prayer journal. And I want to end today with giving David the last word um, by, by reading from his prayer journal one more verse, Psalm 27, verse 4, that I believe captures David's heart so well throughout his life as a man who is after God's own heart. Whether through success or failure, faithfulness or sin, David has had his eyes on what the Lord has for him. And so as we read this one last verse and give David the final word in this series, may this verse be a prayer for you. May this verse be a prayer for me. May it be a prayer for our church that we have our eyes focused on the Lord. Psalm 27, verse 4 David has the last word. Here's what he says. One thing I ask from the Lord. This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today for worship. It's been great to have you with us. I wanna thank the team that made this service possible and in particular, thank Pastor Spencer for his powerful message. If you know someone who would benefit from this message, we invite you to like it and share it on social media. Thank you so much for doing that. And now we invite you back next week for the very first week of our new sermon series, The Fruit of the Spirit. Have a great week. Dark midnight